This month, we have been talking about this whole topic of a good neighbor, a very good neighbor. And it would seem that if there's a time that is needed in the world right now for a good neighbor, it seems like it's this time right now. If you watch the news, the evidence of needing good neighbors is probably even in much greater demand than ever before. You just have to look at the news and see what's happening with, with Hamas and with Israel and how they're killing each other, essentially. And whether you think who's right or who's wrong, I'm not making any political statement here, but we can see that not good neighbors or good neighbors is not happening over there right now. Or even you turn on the news and you'll see what's happened in Maine with the shooting in the bowling alley. I mean, are we getting to the place where people are hating each other or hating themselves so much that we're getting numb to the idea of seeing things on the news where there's a massacre that are happening in a school or a nightclub or a bowling alley or, 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 or a movie theater or a shopping mall? We're now at the place where we're getting so used to watching this type of stuff that people are now probably asking, what is it to be a good neighbor? It'd be easy for us to think of a good neighbor as someone who's just not noisy, right? And, and to be honest, many of you maybe have had bad neighbors that you'll just be happy if they could just simmer down. Someone was telling me they, they, they have a neighbor that's moved in, or someone, they had a neighbor that moved in, and they're really into very religious things, and they're always wearing these white robes in their backyard and doing some funny stuff. And he's like, I'll never be able to sell my house with that type of stuff going on next door, right? <laughs> and we have the type of neighbors that love to party on the weekend, so we get to hear their wonderful music late at night. It's so good when you're in bed, just hearing the pounding music. But we love them. They're great people. But it's amazing. You're just, if they could just be silent, that would be a good enough neighbor. But that's not really what Scripture uh, uh, wants for us. I believe that it wants us to be good neighbors in the sense of that we're actually invested in our neighbors' lives, that we actually know what's happening in their lives, that we're actually aware of that their marriage is going through difficulty or their kids are going through depression or there's challenges in, in their finances or something. Maybe they're sick or something like that. But many of us don't know what's going on in our neighbors' because in our neighbors' houses because we don't even really talk to them that much other than a cursory, hey, how are you doing? Well, you get the trash can in. Do you even know the names of your neighbors? Maybe you know the names of some of them, but what about the neighbors behind your house? What about the neighbors across the street? What about the neighbors just a couple of houses down? If you don't even know their names, do you even really know them? Right? And yet, the Bible has told us, and we've been talking about this entire month, that we're called to be good neighbors, to love your neighbor as your self. If you loved your neighbor the way that you loved your car, or some of you, you know, you know, maybe you really love your cars and you wash it on the weekend, then, then imagine if you loved your neighbor like you loved your car. Or maybe you'd love your neighbor like you love your lawn. Or you love your neighbor like you love your smartphone. Imagine if we loved our neighbors as much as we love ourselves, what difference would be made in the world today? And that's not to say that I'm criticizing you and saying you're not doing good enough. I'm sure you're doing wonderful things. But how much more has God got for us? How much more could the church have an influence on the world where we don't have to turn on the news and see people killing themselves because we were the ones who got in there first to help people's hearts change because they were loved by us? How cool would that be? Today I want to read a scripture from Mark chapter 10. We're going to read this scripture where there was a young guy that ran up to Jesus and he wanted to know what it was to have a better life, to have a greater life. 
and he ran up on him. And we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 27. It says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said this, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commands. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Teacher, teacher, let me stop you there. All these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I think that's interesting that you loved him. I think he respected him. I think he admired him. I think he thought, well done. You have tried your hardest. You're looking for a much deeper level of meaning to life. And he said that he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had such great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Emphasis by repeating that again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And all God's people said, I don't believe this young guy was necessarily a selfish person. I believe that he was honestly looking for life. I believe that he admitted he didn't have it even with all his money and influence that he had. And he was humble enough to actually fall on his knees. But when I'm reading this scripture, I see that I believe that there are three types of people out there. There are three main reasons why a person would decide to follow God. There are many people who don't follow God, but even with those who do try to chase after God, they have categorized themselves into three different areas. There are those that are just trying to survive. There are those that are trying to succeed. And there are those that are actually trying to find significance in their life. Let's look at the first one here. The three types of people or the three types of ways that people try and follow God. And the first one is this, is for survival. In Mark 10 verse 17, it says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit Eternal life. Now think about that word. <clears throat> if you've ever got an inheritance, you basically got an inheritance where maybe your, your dad died, your mum died, someone died, and you got left an inheritance. I remember this years ago when I was about 16 years old, and my great grand, and my great aunt actually died, and she was someone who never got married, and she just squirreled money away, and then she left a little amount of money to each one of us, and then I got like a couple thousand dollars, and I was over the moon, and my mum and dad said, let's go to America, and I'm like, yes, and they said, and we'll use your money to help pay for your ticket, and I'm like, no, like that, but I ended up having to use my money and all, and I came over to America for the first time, and I didn't realize how big everything is here. You even have a drink called a Big Gulp. 
Not just a gulp, but a big gulp. Because the gulp's not big enough, it has to be bigger, right? Everything's big here. And I was excited by that. I got an inheritance. But guess how much work I did to get that inheritance? Big fat zero, nothing. I didn't do anything to get that money. All I did was inherit it. It's interesting he uses this word. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Now, maybe he's admitting there's nothing I can do. It can only be given as a free gift. That's very true. But he didn't even offer, hey, can I do something in order to become a better person? Is there anything that I can do? No, he just wanted to get the right results. He just wanted to get the end results of eternal life. Something better than what I have. And I believe that most people are probably looking for something better in their life. We're all looking for power, position, or posterity. Everyone's always trying to spend money to have better experiences, better houses, better jobs, better everything in order to have a better life. But if you're an atheist, well, an atheist would have to be honest and admit that life is actually meaningless because there is no God, right? And if there is no God, then why live? What's the point of life? You can't make it better because better doesn't exist. Or maybe you're an agnostic. Maybe you're someone who doesn't really know if there's a God and you're an an honest agnostic and you say, I want something more, but I don't even know if there's a God. I don't even know if it's possible to have something better. I don't know if it's possible to have eternal life. This guy wasn't an agnostic or an atheist. He truly was someone who was saying, I want something more and I know that God can give it to me. And he decided to ask this wise man, this good teacher, This is the type of of person who's looking for something better in life. But it doesn't mean that they're willing to pay the price because they're trying to survive life. They're trying to make sure that when they die, it will end up well for them. What I'll do is I'll hedge my bets. I want something more, but I want the easiest way to do it. I want fire insurance. I want a ticket to heaven, but I don't necessarily want to have to suffer any pain here on earth in order to get that thing. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Now, how would I know if I was that person? How do I know that I'm just a survivor? Well, I know that I'm just a survivor if I'm not doing what I know I should do. If you're not not doing what you know you should do, then you're someone that's just looking to try and just make it into heaven, just do all all you need to do in order to get at least the minimum best things you can in life. The evidence of that is, I think it's crazy that people actually want to have diet pills, but they will never exercise, right? Well, can I just take a pill and then I'll never have to exercise and I can still sit on the couch? No, it doesn't work that way. Or what about, I've heard of people who actually love playing the lottery because they want to make some really good money, but they're not willing to get a job. It doesn't make sense, right? But people are like that out there. People who want to do the minimal amount of effort to get what it is that they want. And you can always tell those types of people because they will call on God when trouble comes to town. When things fall apart, oh, Jesus, help me. Oh, and they start making deals with God. If you just help me pay my bills, I'll make sure I'll pray as much as I can tonight. If you, may, if you help me to become uh, not, get rid of the sickness in my body, I'll definitely start attending church. People always start making deals with God. That's someone who's just looking to try and get fire insurance and get to heaven and not end up in hell, making a deal with God. 
Recently, this last year, we had our Easter service here. And after our Easter service, we always do a big family get-together at my in-laws and we eat copious amounts of food because that's what you do to celebrate Jesus coming out from the dead, out from the grave. And then we also do these games where we throw eggs at each other. And for some reason, I don't know what it is. It's an American thing. But this year, I decided to actually come dressed as Jesus. So I got a bed sheet, and I cut a hole in the top, and I put it over, and I, I wrapped something around my waist, and I, I got a wig, and I wish I'd taken a picture and put it on myself so up here, and you could see it. I looked really stupid, so I decided to dress up as Jesus. So I went to our, our, our Easter day, and I thought, how cool would it be if I only stayed in character, and I only said things that Jesus would have said? Right, so they're like, hey, Peter, do you want something to eat? Oh no, the food I eat is only the will of my father, right? Say things like that. Children would come playing and I would say, suffer the children to come unto me, right? They're like, Someone would get a glass of water and I'd say, would you like to let me, like, would you want me to turn that into wine for you, right? So I would stay in character and at first it was funny and it probably ended up being really annoying in the end. But anyway, it was fun for me. But on the way home, I was driving home and for some reason I got so used to wearing this Jesus outfit with my wig that I forgot to take it off. So I'm Jesus driving back home, right? Driving back home, bless you, bless you my brother, just bless you, all that type of thing, right? And then so I'm going around this corner as I'm turning into this, the, the next street and there's a gas station right in the corner. And I saw this minivan with its window down and there was, a, there was like this Arabic woman that was sitting in our, in our minivan. And as she, as she had filled up with gas, she took off, but she forgot to take the pump out of her car. So she rips off the hose. I know, shocking, right? And so she rips off the hose. And so I turn my car into the gas station and I pull her up in front of her. And she must have thought, who is this idiot looking like Jesus pulling in front of me? And then I pull up in the side of her. I put my window down and I said, ma'am, you've just pulled away from the gas pump and you've ripped the hose off. And so she looks at her window, looks at the gas pump that has been ripped off, sorry, the hose that had been ripped off from the gas pump. And she goes, oh my God, right? She goes, oh my God. And I said, yes, my child, I'm listening. I said, go and sin no more, right? And she didn't know what to do with that, right? Because she was shocked that there's a horse hanging at the gas pump. And I'm like, and in my mind, I'm like, God has sent you. She sent me the Savior to save you from a fiery hell. Now, my point is this, nothing. <laughs> People call out to God in the middle of trouble every time, right? It doesn't mean they're actually willing to follow God, but they're always willing to call on God when they're in trouble. I think there's a good chance I might be dying. How might I have eternal life? How do I inherit it? How do I get that thing? There are so many people that do this. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing people who are just survivors because there are some people who are survivors because they've come from such trauma. I remember when I was growing up as a, as a, as a child, there was a guy he used to come to my dad's church and his name was Andy, a little short guy. And he would always come in and he'd always kind of walk in really kind of staggering like this. And you know, he couldn't really speak any well because he had been on so many drugs. He'd really burned out these brain cells in his head. And he had no fingers because when you're on drugs and you're out in the cold and it's freezing cold, you can't actually feel anything. So he lost all his fingers to frostbite uh, sleeping out in the winter in Scotland. 
And I remember when I was growing up, it's kind of weird seeing this guy with no fingers at all, and he'd come up and go, how you doing? And, 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 you know, as a child, I'm like, what's happened to this guy? My parents are like, well, he's been on drugs. You know, he had a very t- hard life, but, but he's given his life to Christ. And every time my father would do uh, an altar call and say, does anyone want to give their life to Christ by publicly declaring their, their, their allegiance and their submission to Christ? If you'd like to come forward, Andy would always get up and walk down and go and give his life to Christ. And every now and again, I would think, why is he going forward again? He's already done this. He's already given his life to Christ. He doesn't need to come forward anymore. But when you're a survivalist, you'll do whatever it takes just to try and guarantee that God is not going to judge you when you die. You're going to do whatever it takes just to confirm that thing within yourself that says, yes, I have submitted myself to God and I have so much admiration, respect for him. But maybe you're not that type of person. You're not a survivalist where you're just trying to make it to heaven, but you've actually been given many things in your life, but you're still living as a survivalist. You're still living like you're just trying to make it to heaven when the fact is God has blessed you beyond your, uh, beyond your uh, wildest dreams and you don't have to live like a survivalist anymore. You can live to the next level in your life. How do I know that this guy didn't recognize, was not looking to try and follow God but only to find goodness in his own life? Because in verse 18, Jesus said, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God. Why are you calling me good? He didn't even recognize Jesus as God. And there are many people that are just trying to escape the fire of hell. That's not why God sent Jesus. He didn't send Jesus just so that you could escape punishment. He came that you might have life and life to the full. He wants way more for you than you realize. Not just to escape judgment. He wants you to have life and life to the full which then maybe takes you to the next stage of life or the next place or or the next reason why you'd want to follow Jesus. And the next reason for many people is just to find success in their life. In verse 19 and 20, it says, Jesus said this, you know the commands. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I've done all that stuff already. Now, I believe this, that you can apply biblical principles and increase wealth and joy and peace in your life without actually following God. There's plenty of people that do it in the world. They don't confess Christ as Lord. They don't necessarily go to church. They don't, they don't even pray. They don't have any real communion with God. All they're doing is taking the things that God has told us in the Old Testament of what will make a, a culture and a society live with peace, and we follow those things, we'll find blessing in our lives. Look at the six things that Jesus mentioned. No murder, don't murder. What would, what would a lack of murder do in our lives? It would give us better safety in our culture. We wouldn't even probably need guns in our lives anymore. Imagine if we had a, a society where we don't actually have to have a gun clause within our constitution. Imagine that. When you get to heaven, we're not going to have a right to bear arms. Why would you need 
to because we have no desire to murder one another. Imagine if we had a society and a culture where we didn't murder anymore. The second thing he suggested was no adultery. Now, this is not just talking about cheating within your marriage. This is about having any type of sexual relationship with someone that you're not in covenant with in a marriage covenant. No adultery would bring better relationships amongst us. Why? Because we wouldn't have Jerry Springer for a start. Right? We wouldn't have jealousy between families. We wouldn't have divorce. We wouldn't have disrespect. We wouldn't have broken families. We wouldn't have the STDs in our culture because we wouldn't have adultery. And then he says, how about no stealing? Don't have stealing in your life. And if you don't have any theft, then you'd have better wealth. Economies would increase. My wife used to work for IGM, International Justice Mission, the largest anti-human trafficking group in the world. And they said this, that the combination of bribery and violence is the root of all poverty. All poverty in the world. Bribery and violence. If we had no bribery in our world, in our culture, we would actually have wealth. We wouldn't be running short of money for the programs that we need to try and help people. He even suggested no lying. If there was no lying, I'm sorry for any of you that are lawyers in here, you would have no job. We wouldn't need lawyers. We wouldn't need contracts. We wouldn't need to scroll through lots of small amount of text and press a button at the bottom that says, I have read this when you never did read it. Right? Simply because we don't lie. What about no fraud, which is better government? Unfair business practices doesn't allow people to have a fair crack at the whip. What about no dishonor to the parents? That's not just about not dishonoring parents. It's also about dis not dishonoring the entire family. Imagine how much of a better family we'd have. Maybe we wouldn't have shootings in our culture because families were intact. Because children weren't being rejected, weren't growing up to being teenagers that want to shoot their friends because they feel broken and rejected. These were radical in the Old Testament because there was no culture that had suggested any of these things and that anyone would live to this code of conduct. I believe in defunding the police by this method. Imagine if we would not commit crimes anymore in our culture, if people would start to love one another and be a good neighbor, we wouldn't have to start chanting defund the police. They wouldn't have a job to do because they wouldn't have to track down any crimes. Do you see what I'm saying? Imagine if we lived this way and Jesus was suggesting this set of rules to him, saying if you live this way, you'll maybe have the joy that you're looking for. But notice this. These are all principles of how to live with one another, a good neighbor. But there's four commands that are missing. Four commands that are all to do about having a relationship with God himself. These are all about how to have a relationship with one another. But Jesus left that out. Why would he leave that whole thing out? Why would he not mention about relating things to God? Because I believe that he was testing the young guy on whether he really wanted life. Did he really want a relationship with God? Or did he just want a good life that he could live in peace with? Crystal and I were away up in another state just, just taking some time away and we were in this cafe sitting outside and this couple came up and started chatting with us and, and I never tell people that I'm a pastor. I'll tell you why. Because they always change their demeanor. Like I'm God himself. I can't get you into heaven, by the way. Right? I'm, you know, you're a representative of God. We're all representatives of God, right? 
And so they were chatting away and blah, 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 blah. And, and you know, and as they're getting in, they were starting to tell us some of their problems. And, and it's, you know, it's wonderful. And, and I'm like, you know, you, you should consider this. And then she went, oh, that's brilliant. She took a piece of paper out of, her, out of her bag and started writing down some of the things I was saying. And one of the things I had said, you know, she was having a, a difficulty. And she's like, I just don't know how to find the right answer to that problem. And I said, well, you know, my dad used to say, sometimes you should stop looking for perfect answers and learn how to ask better questions. And she's like, Brilliant, she started writing it down. And then Crystal would say something. She's like, what did she say? And I would repeat it. And she's like, start writing this thing down. I never told her that we were pastors. And then later on, turns out I'm a pastor. And I'm like, you're a pastor? And they were shocked. Now, what I didn't do is I didn't say, and would you like to meet Jesus? Why? Because I'm not there to, to, to shove Jesus down someone's throat. If they want to know more and they want to know God, then go seek after him. But he didn't ask that question. I'm not here to criticize them. All they were looking for was some sort of relief or pain relief in their life. They were looking for some level of success in their life. This guy's response in this scripture is, I tried all the things you have just said, all the things that will help me to be a good neighbor and to have peace in my life. I tried it all and it still hasn't brought me the life and the joy that I'm really looking for. It doesn't necessarily mean that he was saying that he was perfect. Jesus knew, he just knew that he was missing something in his life. But what was it that he really wanted? Here's the third thing. The third reason that people are willing to look uh, to chase after God, the third reason why they're willing to chase after God is this third one is significance. In Mark chapter 21, sorry, chapter 10, verse 21 and 22, it says this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. That means he was like, gosh, this guy is ready for the final level. He is ready to go and do the real stuff of what it's going to take to have significance in life. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now look at this. I don't believe that Jesus was saying, the one thing that you lack is poverty. Why don't I believe that? Because Jesus didn't go around telling this to everybody. He only told it to this guy. What he was telling him was, the one thing that you lack is me. The one thing that you lack is the fullness of God in your life. And it's your money that is getting in between what you really want and who you are. It's, it's your money that's getting in between you and God. Jesus could see it was his wealth that was getting in the way. Money gives you privilege. It gives you comfort. It gives you power in this life. It gives you lots of great things. Recently, this year, I went over to Europe. And as I was going to Europe, we were in, uh, we were in, in the airport. Now, I have a church credit card. And this church credit card is like the, 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 the keys to the kingdom right here, right? This, is, this, this affords me so much money that I can spend on anything. But I don't, right? I can't do that because I've got to be accountable for what I spend for. But this credit card, we put lots of our bills on this credit card. Why? Because it gets us lots of points, right? And points mean prizes, right? And it gets us money back at the end of the year. So we're being a good steward with your money by using on credit card and having someone else pay for it, right? So I get there to the airport 
I get there to the airport and there's an airport club there and you can get into the airport club and you get to be there where you get free drinks and free food and a nice, nice quiet area and nice soft seats. And so I take my credit card and I slide it over and I'm like, that'll get me in. <laughs> it's done it before. Why wouldn't it do it now? And she goes, beep. No, oh, sorry, no, that didn't work. Let me try it again. Beep. No, no, sorry, that didn't work. Let me try it one more last time. I'll, 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 and they always do this. You always clean off the, you know, the, like that, and then they'll, then they'll slide the magnetic car, and I'm like, no, no, sorry, it, it won't let you in. I'm like, and I was crestfallen. My wealth, won't, the church's wealth, will not get me into this club. Are you kidding me? I want to be, I have to go be with the peasants when I could be with the club, up in the club, right? No, I couldn't get in, so I called up the, the credit card company, and I'm like, hey, there must be something wrong with my card. It surely isn't me, right? There must be something wrong with my card. And so I called them up, and they're like, yeah, sorry, your card doesn't work for that anymore. It won't get you in the airport club. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I can't get to do the things I used to do. Wealth affords you so much power. You can see why his, this, his face fell. You can see that if he started to give it up, he probably has to give up the country club. Maybe he has to give up his, his golf. Uh, uh, membership. Maybe he has to give up his fancy car. Maybe he's going to have to give up things. But the point is this, that Jesus is saying there's only one club that wealth will never get you into, and that's the relationship with God himself. There is nothing that you can do to get into a relationship with God other than acquiesce to his calling in your life. It's interesting that Jesus didn't even say, if you want to take all your money and submit it or <clears throat> want to donate it to my ministry, maybe we could do great things together because Jesus didn't need his money. Jesus didn't need him to give him anything. He needed him to just relent and release and give his life over to Jesus so that he could do something great in him and through him. Amen. The question is this, are you at the place where you're willing to do that? The shock for this rich young ruler was that real significance and meaning to life comes with sacrifice. There is no easy way to do this. If you really want life and life to the full, there is no other way to have that unless you sacrifice yourself to sacrifice your thinking, to sacrifice your money, to sacrifice your life and give everything that you have for the sake of the gospel. I'm proud of a, a couple in our church who have been with us for 13 years and their son ministers in another church and all they want to do is stay here because they've got so many good friends here but God has called them to go minister with their son and they're heartbroken because of what they have to leave but they're taking up their cross and they're gonna do what God has called them to do because it's worth it. They know fine well that joy is only found in the presence of God and in the presence of God there is obedience in the presence of God, there is joy. But in the presence of God, sometimes there is suffering as well. The question is, do you want more than just surviving and getting your fire ticket, your, 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 your ticket to get to, to heaven? Do you want something more than just success in your life and having good relationships? Do you want something more than that? Do you want to become the type of person that's a good neighbor and lives life to the full and then brings it to your neighborhood as well? Do you want significance in your life? If you do, it's going to take sacrifice. God's maybe going to ask you to give up some relationships. He's going to maybe ask you to give up some of your bank account. Maybe he'll ask you to give up your country. I had to do that. Maybe he'll ask you to give up certain things that your heart 
is absolutely connected to because you don't want to give up the comfort club. You don't want to give up the airport club. You don't want to give up those things because those things give you a momentary present joy in your life. But that's not what God's got planned for you. He's got so much more. And after this scripture, Jesus said to them, he said, and anyone who gives up families, who gives up jobs, who gives up brothers and sisters will not get, will, will, will get more back in return. They will not walk this earth and even into the life to, uh, that will come to them. They will have even more brothers and sisters and families and brothers and daughters and sons. They'll have more than they could ever imagine. What do you want? Do you want just success? Do you want just to make it to heaven? Or do you want significance? I'd rather have significance. So if you're going to hang around with me, I'm going to be a really annoying friend. Because that's all I want to live, is a life of significance. Let's stand this morning. As we make a decision before God to take our lives to the next level, Father in heaven, we want, we, want, we want to be like Andy, the drug addict. We want to come again to stand before you and say, I'm sorry, God, for what I've done. But I submit myself once again. I yield to you entirely and completely. Please remember me and do something great in me and through me. Because I don't want to get to the end of my life where I retire and all I can do is look back on how much I worked and how much money I made and how comfortable I have it. I want to live a life of significance even if it's only a few more years left. I want to leave this life knowing I gave everything I had for the sake of the gospel. And I pray, Father, for every person that's here that you would give them a spirit of Andy in them once again and fill them up with your spirit from the bottom of their feet to the top of their heads, to overflowing, that they would know what it is to give everything that they've got. We ask this in your precious son's name. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.